0: If I never see the northern light shine in your eyes again Promise me, babe, promise me you won't forget How we climbed inside each other and I held you in my arms You we were falling hard under a frozen sea of stars
1: Hello and welcome to the Writer's Way podcast. I'm your host, Justin DeMarco, and you are just listening to Rock and Roll Heart by singer, songwriter, guitarist, and all-around good guy, Scott Martin. Scott also happens to be our first guest of the new year, appearing on episode four of the Writer's Way podcast. Thank you all for taking this journey with us and for the kind and supportive words along the way. We see those reviews and five-star ratings and are so appreciative. For those of you who would like to write a review or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast, but aren't sure how, I'll walk you through it really quick. Open up your Apple Podcast app right now. Give you a second. Okay, now click on the search button. It looks like a magnifying glass on the bottom right-hand corner. Click that search button and then type in The Writer's Way Podcast. You'll see our awesome bright yellow logo created by Jinjo. Click that. Now scroll down past the episodes, and you'll see the ratings and reviews section. You can tap to rate. Five stars, of course, except if you think it's a one, two, three, or four out of five, and would like to write a review explaining why you gave that rating, or what you would like to hear more of. Just as importantly, you can give a five out of five and write a glowing review praising me, our guest, and the Writer's Way podcast. And while we're plugging stuff, make sure to follow the Writer's Way podcast on Instagram at the Writer's Way podcast and on Twitter at Writer's Way pod. That's Writer's Way P-O-D on Twitter. You can also follow me, Justin DeMarco, on Instagram and Twitter at Justin P. DeMarco, and I'm also on Facebook too. Okay, okay, enough of that. It's time for Scott Martin, right? You may know Scott from the band's bulletproof messenger, Storm of the Century, or as a solo artist by his own name, Scott Martin. His new single, Bringing Hollywood Back to Life, was featured in American Songwriter Magazine in November. And he has opened for Incubus, Fuel, Collective Soul, Seether, Everclear, The Jonas Brothers, and oh so many more. He was also kind enough to play a couple of songs off of his new EP, The Mexico Sessions, for us. They aren't even out yet. Talk about an exclusive! Now, without further ado, here's the interview with singer, songwriter, guitarist, and all around great guy, Scott Martin. Today we're at the home of Scott Martin in his studio in Brooklyn, New York. Scott, you have a really nice place here. Lots of guitars.
2: Thanks, Ben. Lots of guitars. I think it's about 27 in this room. So. 27
1: guitars is a lot of guitars. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a purpose. Absolutely. Well, you are the first musician on the Writer's Way podcast. Thanks so. for having me, man. It's a great honor. Well, appreciate you doing it. Uh, and we've been seeing too, a lot of, uh, studio sessions, the Mexico sessions, I believe it's being called. Yep.
2: And rather, you know, it's, um, it's the name of the first song we're recording. So we were like, well, I guess we'll call it that, you know? Um, yeah. so we were in, we were in my friend's studio, Virtue and Vice in, um, oh gosh, it's like, know uh, nowhere. It's in Brooklyn. It's in like Northern Bed-Stuy. I can walk there. Nice. Um, and we did, uh, three tracks. We did a, like an EP, I guess you would call it, you know? So we're doing a song called Mexico, naturally. And then uh, Jet Blackheart and uh, the third one's called Giants. And um, you'd heard us play them all when you I've came. I've heard
1: them. I was going to say uh, i To the Bire Electric
2: show. But um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. We track drums. Um, I'm doing guitars now. And then we're going to add some vocals in, get the bass and the keys in there and, and see what happens.
1: Well, that's really interesting and in why I was like, this is a perfect time to talk to you. Because understanding the process of songwriting, this is the Writer's Way podcast, but getting a little bit of a different look at it. Right. And... I'm curious how you get the ideas for your songs because I've read that Stevie Wonder is somebody who will wake up or in the middle of the night, there'll be a melody and Mm -hmm. he'll go with it. And then I read Just Kids by Patti Smith recently, and she's someone who was writing poetry and then decided, I'm going to add music to it. Right. Where do you fall in that?
2: Either or. Either Um, or, okay. But mostly what'll happen, and actually, um, if you know Chris Isaac at all? Of course, yeah. He, uh, I remember listening to him talk about this when I was younger, and he was like, "You know, the the best is when it happens together at the same time." Sometimes that happens. Um, "Jet Black I sat down and wrote that in about twenty minutes. Really? While I was at a music school um, that I teach in, sometimes. How and, long is um, the song? Three minutes. About three minutes. That's amazing. So I just sat there and went, "Oh, that's that. Oh, that's that. Okay, that's going to be the wor- oh." And I was done on like within a half an hour break. It was game set and match.
1: And, Do you believe in like a higher power or something like that? Yeah,
2: um, and I mean, a lot of guys will say this, Keith Richards being, of course, my favorite. Um, every song's already been written, and you're really just a big antenna for it. And um, so when things come to you, it's just you're like, mm, out into, you know, whatever's out there, and you kind of pick it up. And they come from nowhere. Sometimes they come in the shower, and you go, oh, oh, that line is cool. Or, oh, that melody's cool. And... Um, When I first started writing as a kid, I, you know, as a kid, I was like 16, 17, and I had a job at a a nursery uh, called Dee's Nursery, and I would be, you know, uh, watering flowers and, you know, arranging trees and moving bags of mulch around all day and things like that, and, you know, we didn't have cell phones with, like, recorders on them or anything like that, so I would just start humming things to myself, lines to myself, maybe make up words as I would go for this, like, 12-hour day that I'm working outside, and if I could remember when I got home, I knew it was pretty good, and I would sit down, and I'd turn it into a song
1: it actually reminds me of a story from the artist way by julia cameron sure i have the book great book right <laughs> of course <laughs> and she talks about tom waits though and how driving on a freeway is an artist brain activity showering like you mentioned it is an really artist brain activity Absolutely. but tom waits though is getting his ideas while he didn't have a pen handy or maybe he just started a trip he was going to take and he's driving in his car and he got to a point where he'd be like can't you just come back later
2: yeah it's yeah and sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't you know but like That's the thing. I I think I've probably lost a lot more songs than I've written.
1: I actually said that type of thing to Judith Light, Mm -hmm. the actress. I had the pleasure of meeting her um, at a friend's wedding and just was talking with her. And I basically said that that was one of my fears was that I would lose what I was working on if I didn't hurry up. Sure. But I felt like I almost had to write if I'm working on a novel or the musical or whatever it is. I need to pace it as if it's a marathon, but that I'm sprinting. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I've learned that works for me. And then she said to me though, you're the one creating it. You can't lose it because you're creating it. And I can't tell you from that moment, it just calmed me down. Right,
2: and I I can totally agree with that even though I literally just said like, oh, sometimes you lose more. But the thing is you're making it yourself, like she said, so something comes back around. And if it wasn't that, well, maybe that wasn't the thing you were supposed to create. You know, maybe that was just the the spark for it. Later you said, oh, man, I I can't remember what I did, but you're doing something that actually turns out to be a little bit better while you're thinking of trying to recreate this. You know, that happens to me a lot as well.
1: Did you ever have when you were younger, maybe working on something and maybe your computer goes down or something happens and there's something about always trying to recreate something you already recreated or yes. created that it just seems like
2: it never works out. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it's always a little different, and you know sometimes it's like, oh, you know it was perfect before, but it it it's like if a tree falls in a forest and nobody like hears it, like did it happen kind of thing. Like don't worry about what that was because it's not. It's not there.
1: And gardening is a really interesting job to hear though because it is something that you wouldn't think it would relate to music, but by doing physical work and even. Not really thinking about maybe the songs that you're writing or the melodies that are going to come. The ideas were forming. Absolutely. And did you realize that there was something special happening?
2: Well, you know, it was kind of, (laughs) I was just so bored and, you know, couldn't wear like a Walkman or anything like that. And uh, so you just, I would just come up with music just to keep myself like, you know, kind of occupied. And there's always a song in my head, you know. Um, I'll be sitting on the couch with somebody, just tapping my foot, and people are like, "Could, could you please stop?" And I'm like, no, "No, no, there's a song in my head." They're like, "You're not listening to me in conversation." I'm like, "No, I can do both at once." <laughs> like- well, and you you bring up a great point though too, which is something
1: that I struggle with a lot is how to be a person mm-hmm. and how to be an artist and blend the two. Because, like you're saying, how do you be present with the people you love, right? When you have a song in your head or something that you feel like you need to write down right now, it's- have you found a solution?
2: No. (laughs) No, I haven't. You just go, oh, man, I really hope I can remember this in a minute. You know, when I actually get a chance to, like, go and sit with whatever it is. If I'm lucky, I'll put words to it just to remember it. I have a really funny story about this uh, that pertains to coming up with things in the middle of the night. Um, Paul McCartney, when he wrote Yesterday, got it in a dream, woke up out of bed, knew it was a brilliant melody, went over the piano and played it. And he had to think of a way to remember it. So he put in placeholder words, which I promise you were scrambled eggs. Oh, I wish I had some scrambled eggs. And that's how he kept it in his mind until he brought it to John the next day. And, you know, and they all got together and put it down. So, you know, whatever you have to do at the time, lyrically, you can change it later. Just make sure you remember it. And words kind of help with that. I think so. So
1: do you do something like that? If you come up with a melody, are you going to make lyrics like scrambled eggs just to remember? (laughs) If I have to,
2: um, my my lyric process is, is nuts. Um that little black book right there is filled with that's specifically what I keep those for. I go through about one of those a year and I write very small. Um
1: Moleskin doesn't send them to you?
2: No, nah, not yet. We have to try to get them. Moleskin if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um I will i revi- I'll revise over and over and over until it's perfect. So I usually work between like midnight and five AM. You know, it's a really great cartoon where a city is dark and there's the one light on and it's like artist right there, you know. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and there are times where I will just rip a song apart because I'm just not happy with it. And I like to try and if I can sneak in like double meanings or things, you know, here and there, if I can find a chance for it. And it takes me a long time until I'm happy with my lyrics. Um, sometimes it takes three or four months to finish the song where I'm like, OK, I got exactly what I wanted. Sometimes a line doesn't come and you're like, I need one more syllable. And you don't get that syllable uh, until I don't know, I don't know, four weeks later or something. And then you're like, aha, I've got it. And then you, you feel good about it. So I write prolifically but I don't finish everything perfectly the day I sit down to do it.
1: I was researching uh, obviously before we did this interview mm-hmm. and something I came across was said by Stevie Wonder and he was talking about the process. Right And You can't rush the process. Right. And what he said when asked about being able to just basically put down a song if he needed to, Mm -hmm. which was, I wish I could do that. Everyone at Motown would love if I could have done that. Mm -hmm. The bill collectors would love if I did that. (laughs) Naturally. I try to do that, but I don't lock myself into it. If it doesn't feel right, it's just not done. I agree. And Um, hearing you say that though, but it shows you too, because I know you're someone who has a big appreciation for artist and what has come before you like keith richards said which you mentioned that maybe well he's saying every song has been written and you have to figure out being a vessel and finding finding your version but finding your version of it in your sound uh but something that you do which is appreciating the artists who have come before you of course so i'm curious who your influences
2: are oh um, Tom Petty's probably my biggest songwriting influence. I mean, the, the guy was just a magical human being when it came to writing songs, in my opinion, you know? Of course, the Beatles, too. I think the Beatles were the, the first band I really loved, and uh, my mom was obsessed with them, and therefore was like, oh, here's some records, Scotty. Like, you know, enjoy these. Um, you know, there's also a... Uh a really good Canadian songwriter that a lot of people I I don't think know about. His name is Matthew Good. When I was in high school, he had a band called the Matthew Good Band, and my guitarist was driving around. I was like, hey man, I picked up this record, or this CD, if you will. I just randomly saw it at the store. I thought it was cool. Um, And I was like, this is great. This is really good. This guy's like really good with words, and he's really good with melodies. And I became obsessed with him. I own all of his albums. He's fantastic. Um, Big influence on me as far as like, writing really good lyrics because um, he's great at it.
1: And you've talked about perfection and your need for perfection. It's a
2: sickness, it really is. But I will go until I get the exactly correct phrase. If if not, I don't create the song. You know, I just, I let it sit. Because I know that at some point, zing, it's going to come to me. I could be riding the bus on the subway, whatever it is. It's happened to me before on the subway. You're just like, oh man, <laughs> well, I need I need a pen. You know, <laughs> But uh, now we all have cell phones, so it's just like notes, notes app. Yep. Notes.
1: <laughs> One thing that I never do is look back at my notes.
2: I look back at my notes just for fun. I mean, I've got okay. about five of those. If you look through those, you'll go, "Now oh, he's got a crazy mind, doesn't he?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: you mentioned uh, the artist Wayne Julia Cameron. Do you do morning pages every day? No,
2: oh, I don't. Okay. Um, there was a time where I was. There, actually, there have been several times. I fall off the wagon very, very quickly though.
1: Well, it's possible, especially you when know. you're trying to string days together, and then if you don't do one day, you're like, "Oh, eh, what's the point?" I just
2: ugh, the the schedule and lifestyle is so strange that I'm like, "Nope, I got to run out and do this in the morning." I got to. It's not the morning, by the way. It's usually like one in the afternoon, but that's because I'm working until five.
1: And so, can you talk a little bit about that too, though? The schedule and the lifestyle, and trying to create while
2: having to survive as well. Sure. I mean. It's it's a self-created lifestyle and and schedule like yes, I've put myself in this position, you know for better or for worse Um, When I'm writing I do do my best work after midnight. It's just the the way it works I don't know why I think I've always been that way Um, My dad was never one till I go to sleep until really late either. So maybe I got it from him. I'm not sure but my bedtime is five o'clock in the morning. It will probably forever be five o'clock in the morning. There's something very weird about going to bed before midnight even. Um, But it's also because when I get home from, you know, whatever gig it was or from teaching or or whatnot, um, or just from being out and and hanging out with, you know, the the folks that you have to kind of hang out with in order to further yourself, um, it's late. But when it's late, I'm in a room that's, you know, got a ton of guitars everywhere and you just pick one up because... I don't know, you pick it up or maybe you put a record on and you go, I'm going to play along to this. And if you're playing along to something, maybe something else comes out of it. You know, it's kind of like the thing you know leads into the thing of, well, that's cool, I know how that goes, but what if I did this? And all of a sudden, and then there you go. Like the the greyhounds are loose and you you go for it. Um, But usually it takes like a line. Sometimes it's an extraordinarily cheesy line, like rock and roll hard. I'm like, yes, please don't break my rock and roll hard. I'm like, oh, oh, this is, this is, but it's going to be a good song, you know, but gosh, it's cheesy.
1: Rock and roll heart though, is something that's so polished and it's a song, even your other songs too, all of your songs, you have something where you have that rocker's edge, Mm -hmm. but there's also that pop element. Is that kind of what exactly what you're going for? That was exactly what I was going for. And and
2: the thing is like, so it's, it's 2020 at this point and uh, it's, it's a pop driven world. I saw something today um, that was very disappointing. The top 10, Rock songs of the decade on Billboard. There was not a single rock band in there. Um, Let's imagine Dragons. Not a rock band. I'm sorry. Why do you have three songs on this? Would they be alt? Is that what they're considered? They're pop bands. Are they
1: considered alt rock? No. Oh, for me, I'm saying for the rankings.
2: For the rankings, I don't think so. There's just there's 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 not any loud guitars. There's no guys with long hair. There's like I don't. It doesn't work for me man. Um it's they're they're cool pop bands, you know, but they're they're not a rock band. They're not edgy.
1: Well, I was actually curious about this because you hear a lot of times artists speaking about other artists mm-hmm. or maybe the time you're living in. Right. And longing for kind of the time of your heroes mm-hmm. when they're creating what they were doing. Um, and there's kind of like a little bit not saying you're doing it, but like the get off my lawn thing type of thing oh, like, 100%. this isn't, this isn't yeah. rock and roll right um and then there's embracing it or figuring out how can i kind of do my thing and fit in and i think the reason why i'm bringing this up is a compliment to you because you're basically saying i love rock but i also understand the time i'm living yeah. is that what you're
2: saying pretty much like um there was a time when pop music was rock and roll or rock roll was pop music. And I think that's kind of what, I don't mind doing it because like, don't get me wrong, I love pop music. But, you know, like I said, I just felt that Billboard kind of had uh, perverted the genre a little bit. And it's Billboard, I mean, you know. But, um, I love pop music. I love catchy melodies. I, you know, I like cheesy lyrics sometimes.
1: Take me through rock and roll heart though because something going back to the Stevie Wonder was that Stevie Wonder would play drums himself. You know, he's an incredible drummer. Oh, so so he create, but he would play and then you'd get the melodies and figure out all the other components, right? right? Do you start with a drum loop or are you grabbing an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar? How did that work? Got it,
2: okay, so the way I write most songs is, that one I wrote on this guitar actually. Um, That's my aunt's Goya, it was made in Sweden in like 1967. And I always start with just the acoustic guitar because the rule, for me at least, and I think it's a very good rule is, if it's a good song with an acoustic guitar, it's a good song. Agreed. And I just kind of had that idea for for a chorus and I thought about it and I kind of went and told a story every song I I write has a story to it a real one You know I pull from personal experiences, but then I try to make it like a little more accessible to everybody This isn't about me. This is more like this can be about us Which makes it really enjoyable because it's not just for me. It's for everybody, you know Um, and the reason it came out sounding how it sounds now is because um, a really good friend of mine is a, an excellent producer, his name is Mike Worth, and he's got a studio in Long Island City. And I went into his studio with two songs that I would written um, in, I guess it was 2017, I think. And um, it was Head Over Heels and it was Rock and Roll Heart, which were the two songs that I put out that were like my debut as a solo artist, you know, under my own name, because before that I had various bands and things. And I was like, Mike, this is what I'm going for. Um, I need it to be poppy because this is what people listen to now. And also, like, I want it to be poppy. I don't want to be, like, playing to somebody. I want people to go, oh, yes, like, I want to be part of this. So this is what I'm thinking, you know, thinking kind of some 80s. Let's get some synth in there. Let's, you know, do some vaguely yacht rock sort of <laughs> vibes. And it, it came out that way. And then I put a guitar solo in it that that is directly you know taken from like a Keith Urban kind of vibe because I love him what a great guitar player well, that's
1: actually someone I when I think of your music and I always wonder I was going to say I think Keith Urban because well, Keith Urban. you're singing but Keith Urban can play oh my gosh can he, he can play? play
2: yeah okay, and he, can write a, and he can write a pop song it's a country pop song but it's a pop song well, it's a good you song you know
1: that he's my favorite country musician from Australia
2: oh yeah absolutely he's one of my favorite Australian musicians oh. like ACDC and there's like you know Keith Urban John Butler's very good too though um but um He's great. And he's just...
1: He's got swag, man. Well, he, he's mean, cool. And he's married to Nicole Kidman now, so... Yeah, that also helps the street cred. That, crowd, adds, that adds to the street <laughs> cred, of <laughs> course. Um, but going back to Rock and Roll Heart, um, I think there's a line. It's beautiful oh! people wanting to do beautiful things. Was oh, it something like that's uh, that's lines? That's the other song. That's, oh, sorry. That's, that's Bringing Hollywood Back oh, to Life. Oh, Bringing Hollywood Back yes. to Life. Sorry. Okay. It's so, all good. That was something that stood out to me because talking about just the lyrics being accessible, that there's probably somewhere in somebody's life that they had a partner, yep. whoever that partner was, and they had a dream Yep. and they wanted to do something and maybe it didn't work
2: out. That and is I- exactly what that song is about, man. Ho- bringing Hollywood back to life is, is that. And I had to create like a vibe for it. I, it's my favorite song I've ever written. That's and awesome. it's, it's because it's one of those things, you know, it's very much like, um, I feel like the great Gatsby would sing it if you know, if it had been around in the 20s, you know, but um, because yeah, remember when we were beautiful people with beautiful plans, you know And and that's I think a lot of people feel that way. I certainly do, you know it depends on what mood I'm in <laughs>
0: and gone there ain't nothing in this world that lasts very long and time marches on past the ghosts of a gold rush in the california sun where all the faded stars still shine somewhere behind these neon lights and down on Sunset, oh there fart, I saw a video drinking with a radio star. She said, we'll build an empire, we'll dream a dream. We're going to light up this town, we're going to make a move We'll be raising the dead, one scene out of time. Maybe we could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life. We could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life Remember when we were beautiful people with beautiful plans We're starting over again in a desolate wasteland gone with the wind where all the faded stars still shine Somewhere behind these neon lights And down on Sunset Boulevard I saw a video drinking with a radio star She said, we'll build an empire We'll dream a dream We're gonna light up this town We're gonna make them believe We'll be raising the dead born Seeing out of time Baby, we could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life We could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life Merlin Monroe, James Dean and Marlon Brando go out on the town and they walk into a bar They see video drinking with a radio star She said, we'll build an empire We'll dream a dream We're gonna light up this town We're gonna make them believe We'll be raising the dead bones scene out of time Baby, we could spend forever Bringing Hollywood back to life We'll have it all, baby Just you and me We'll turn this black and white world into a technicolor dream. Over and over one scene at a time. Maybe we could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life. We'll build an empire. We'll dream a dream. We're going to light up this town. We're going to make it believe. We'll be raising the dead one scene at a time. Baby, we could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life.
1: Oh, yeah, Scott, please let everybody know where they could find you.
2: Uh, Right, so uh, find me on Instagram at ScottCCMartin, ScottCharlesMartin.com. Um, you can find me on Spotify, SoundCloud, you know, uh, wherever your favorite music purveyor is. And, uh, I'm going to be in LA in a couple weeks. Um, I'll be playing actually, uh, at the hotel cafe, um, in Hollywood. Uh, you can see me there on Monday the 13th. Um, I think it's eight o'clock. I'm going to be part of the sound soiree that evening, uh, run by my friend Jason Taylor. And, uh, you can come see me in a whole bunch of other, you know, great acts. So if you're in LA, come hang out for the night, have a drink with me. Uh, let's talk some rock and roll and um if you want to hear this uh you know it's released so um you can find it on spotify you know apple music itunes what what let have you where you get your stuff and uh you know um be sure to just keep up with me scott cc martin on instagram um hit me up drop me a dm we'll talk
1: do you have a child who is applying to college and you want to help but you're not sure how ivy and quill is your answer they're the gold standard in college admission essay consulting and editing services with an exceptional turnaround rate of 48 hours or less from when the essay is received. Visit
0: ivyandquill.com and tell them the Writer's Way podcast sent you. We can spend forever bringing Hollywood back to
2: life. You know, the whole the whole idea is, well, the Hollywood became this, like, metaphor for any of that. Like, you can spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life. What What does that mean? What is your personal Hollywood that you want to, you know, recreate and can you because it's kind of like hope against hope but it's it's really beautiful that way
1: and i like what you're saying too even like the great gatsby and of course i jump right to f scott fitzgerald Mm -hmm. and his life took a dark bad turn uh, when he was trying to write screenplays and work in the film industry Mm -hmm. hollywood basically destroyed him so the fact that you're saying great gatsby you have f scott fitzgerald's story in there like you have all of these components are these things that you're thinking of as you're
2: Sort of kind of like it it, like I said, it's a really nebulous song can mean whatever but I remember as I'm writing it it was a completely different song before um, Before it became that and I was like I Came up with this line we could spend forever bringing Hollywood back to life and I said okay This line is so good that I have to trash the entire original song Wow And i had been working on that song for six months just scrapped it. Scrapped the entire thing. Kept it. It's sitting around somewhere. I actually turned it into a different song Okay. Uh, about three months later. Because nice. I was like, it was good, but I could never come up with a chorus. And then I came up with this line, and I was like, you know what? I have to start over. I have to write the entire song around this. Instead of hammering it out in six months, it, it took me six days That's from, crazy. from that. And that was just from this one idea. So sometimes you can try and beat what turns out to be a dead horse, or I should say the wrong horse, perhaps. Um And when you roll with a new idea, you're suddenly in the fast lane and and everything is coming together. And I mean, I had fun writing that one too, because I was like, I want to imagine this world in the future, because it's kind of how I feel about the state of music and art sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, like I was complaining about Billboard before, right? And I was like, well, what if we finally get to a place um, where like... What Hollywood was supposed to be back in the day—you know—it was very glitzy and glamorous. We made good movies, movies that made you feel something. Well, what if it, what if it goes to the point where like we're just dishing out content, and movie studios are just dishing out content to keep people entertained, and that's it? It's kind of like there's nothing to it. I was like, oh crap! Like this is amazing, and then I was like, wait a minute, video killed the radio star, but what if they're both? out of a job now. So now they're in some bar drinking together and lamenting the loss of that. And it's a very Gatsby thing. Like, oh no, we can make everything the way it once was, I promise, you know? That's cool. I snuck going go to the wind reference in that song too. That was kind of fun.
1: Well, and you talked about wanting double meanings in everything that you do as well. Um, and it seems like there's layers to everything and that you're you're thinking through it as well. Because sometimes I think you hear a song on the radio and you're wondering, did they think of that? Was it just like a catchy line, right. or how did this come to be? And getting the in, you know, the insider knowledge of how your brain works, mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, and even sharing too that it was a song that you were working on for six months, mm-hmm. wasn't coming together, and then scrapped it. And I think that's something that a lot of writers, be it novelist or whatever form it could be a screenplay, sure, you have invested so much time, so much of yourself into the work, but there's a good lesson to come from that. If you know something isn't working, it's never going to get better.
2: Do you believe that? Absolutely. I mean, you can you can stick with it and put out something that you're not happy with, that maybe you would call mediocre. Somebody else might think it's great, that's fine, but at the end of the day, you still have to fulfill yourself a little bit, you know. Um, Or you can what, what you already wrote isn't going anywhere. You're just putting it down and turning in a different direction or just putting the car in park and driving back the other way or whatever it is whatever metaphor you want to use for it and i think it's really important to be able to do that even as an experiment you know if well let's just see what happens if we go this way um it's hard <laughs> but i have found from experience that it, it more often than not works out really well so it's not the first time
1: well and i'm wondering too because something that we found out when Prince passed away was that he had all of these songs that yeah, he had written in basically the vault. Like in a vault. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you, the question is, do you have a vault?
2: Yes. You do. I do. I mean, not, no, not physically. Not,
1: no, I mean like the song vault somewhere. As I walk
2: around the room and give away the location to yeah. my secret safe. Of your, of your
1: black <laughs> moleskins. Yes. Um, yeah. So that is something though, that you will table a song knowing that you'll come back to it. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe you never will.
2: It's true. There are songs that I have written that that are deep within the pages of my black moleskins that sometimes when I'm flipping through just to see what, you know, sometimes you're looking for ideas and you go back through all the stuff and you go, "Oh man, let's try this now." And it would not be that, you know, that it it works, you know, because sometimes when you're writing it, you're so focused on writing it and getting it done and getting it done that no, you, know, you kind of drive yourself into a corner. Come back to it months, years later and you go, okay, maybe I won't take the whole thing, but let me take a little piece of this.
1: And when you're writing, do you feel pressure? um, Like, this song has to be a hit. I need this to be X or I need this to be Y uh, when you're working on it. And do you think maybe that's part of giving it space or giving it time maybe takes a little of that pressure off? Like, I worked on this. uh, It didn't get to where it needed to go, but Mm -hmm. you know what? Fuck it. I'm starting something else.
2: Right. Um, I mean, does it have to be a hit? I don't know. I don't know what a hit is. I do know what a good song is. Um, it does have to be a good song in, in the sense that what I think makes a good song. So if it doesn't live up to those standards, I kind of just put it away. Okay. Um, but it has to reach, a, it has to move properly, it's such a strange phrase to say properly, I like everybody's got a different idea of how a song should move. But for me, yeah. it has to move a certain way. It has to make me feel a certain way. Um, it's a very, like, je ne sais quoi sort of thing. I don't know until I know.
1: Do you have listeners who you'll will be willing to share your first, like, the song with first?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, um,
1: or yeah. trusted people.
2: Yeah. Like, you know, my producer is like one of my closest friends from grade school. And, um, I'll be like, Mike, I have this. And he'll go, Yeah, this is great. Bring this in. Or he'll go, Yeah, it's cool, man. You know, uh, my drummer who I've played with for 10 years, uh, Joe Rubino, um, we were an old, like, big, big, like, modern rock band together you know that's how we met and he'll be like yeah it was good scotty but like you can do you can do better man and okay cool joe thanks you know i still like it you know (laughs) but uh all right awesome man i'll go and you know so there's people here and there that i'll be like hey check this out i think it's good but what do you think you know
1: and it's good too the way that they're giving you feedback which is it's cool i'm digging it keep going or going a different direction as opposed to like how dare you send me this song, which you can also get as well. And a lot of times, yeah. I think you find that people who have those types of reactions are usually blocked artists themselves. Yeah, naturally. Um, but having friends that you trust their opinions, you know you can go to, and that they'll gently and kindly mm-hmm. basically guide you away. And yep. not that that song has to be gone forever, right. but just let's focus on this one.
2: Sure. And I mean, there are times where I'm I'm very, very, very stubborn. And I'll go, no. This is getting done. I'll I'll go back and then I'll rip it apart and I'll be like, all right, fine. let I really believe in this, but they're not like feeling it. Well, okay. Well, I'm gonna, you know, twist it up a bit and see what I can do. You know, maybe not start something new, but you know. So it, it depends. What I'm trying to say is, my process is there is no process. I okay. guess um, you just. I don't, I can't define it.
1: <laughs> it's something that it comes and goes. It Comes it's... and goes
2: exactly. There there are times where I can't write for for. Four months, maybe because I'm concerned with uh, with a lot of gigs that I have to do as a side man, as a session guy, and it's almost like I have to recharge the battery or refill the reservoir. I remember that last October, I wrote about ten songs in a month, and they were wow. ten good songs in a month, you know, and um, that was extraordinarily shocking to me because they don't usually all come out that fast. Um, but also, I was kind of driven because, like this this guy down in Nashville. Um, that worked at a publishing company was like hey man come down and write but like bring some stuff and i was like okay so now i have to write some stuff but i wasn't like i have to it was just in the back of my mind that like well i should have some more things and i dedicated myself a lot of time to write and just see what would happen and i've got like 10 finished songs from that and probably about another 15 that are laying around in various bits and pieces
1: and isn't it great that you have the ability like you're saying that you get to choose when you decide to let a song out of the moleskin, let's say. Yeah. But knowing that when there's a deadline that you're able to basically go, okay, I got this. Mm-hmm. I know that I have stuff I can look through. Mm-hmm. And I also know that there's stuff that's just been in my head or in my mind or it's in my notes. Right. And I want to give it a shot. But I think having a little bit of a deadline or even just like that helpful hand, knowing that it's somebody in Nashville. Yeah, sure. Who's asking for your music, right? Mm-hmm. It just gives it that much more, right?
2: It's really true, you know. It's it's not like it's not like a gun to your head, at all. It's kind of like a, it's like a little push, like come on, boy, you know, let's uh let's get let's get to work, you know, because you can work, but it's not always time to go to work. You know what I'm saying? I'm always working, but I'm not always like, oh, it's time to go to work. You know, so there's a difference there. It's subtle, but it's it's a difference.
1: I love that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so
2: that's brilliant, right? I guess it really is. <laughs> I came up with it just now.
1: <laughs> I like it. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. And then that was a question I had, too. Uh, in terms of your writing songs, you mentioned someone in Nashville. Have you ever thought about maybe even writing songs for somebody else? Say, like, a Keith Urban. Like, would that be an honor or is it kind of like, fuck that. This is my song. I'm performing it.
2: Kind of depends. Honestly, um, it would be more of an honor than, than, the, uh, than the latter. Because, first of all, if you become a songwriter for somebody that's of that caliber, that's kind of your foot in the, in the bigger door. Um and people have been writing songs for other people
0: forever.
2: Um, the first song the Rolling Stones wrote together, and I'm just saying it was just Mick and it was Keith, they were locked in um they were locked in a kitchen by their manager, and they came out with what Keith said was absolute garbage. But their manager said, This is great, it's a hit, I'm gonna sell it to a girl group. Sold it to a girl group and it made him his first like a hundred thousand pounds crazy, you know? So, there's nothing wrong with it. You don't have you can write a great song that you don't want to perform maybe, or you can say, "Well, I want to perform this, but like I hear somebody else's voice on the track." Oh, I've got a great story about that whole so, Billy Joel, right? Who is one of my favorite songwriters of all time. I'm from Long Island, you know. It's it is what it is. Um Do you know Big Shot? Of course. Okay. So, Billy Joel has this thing he says sometimes when he's writing, he thinks that he's other people or he's like writing with other people in mind and he said when i wrote big shot i was thinking of mick singing to bianca jagger
1: that's hilarious
2: and that's how that song came to me and it came to me very quickly and very easily and i was just like yeah this is a song that mick should be singing to bianca but you know it's a billy joel song of course um you know tom petty's done it tom petty's written for stevie nicks um for for other people certain songs he's actually written for other people and then taken them back (laughs)
1: <laughs> but, and even, i mean carol king ended up building a career that way because she was a the
2: songwriter then, right
1: tapestry was her coming out party it was there you hey, go hey this I mean, is me
2: i'm doing it you know in in i think recently in the pop world uh well bruno mars was a songwriter um megan Trainor was as i recall there's a lot of people that are you know and it's um i think it's just as rewarding as doing it the other way a lot of people like to write but they don't like to perform maybe so that's true you know, why not? But I think it's a really spectacular gift to give to somebody, um, especially somebody you admire. You know, if somebody said, hey, man, um, you know, uh, Keith Urban would really like to sing this song. I'd go, "Well, sure, have please, it. have, have it. it. I'll write you another one, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the guy's a great writer himself, so, like, he does not need me. <laughs> and is that,
1: I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned going out and needing to network which is part of the reason you're saying that you're up till five in the morning a lot of times Yeah, sure do you view that as part of your job as well
2: yeah um i was i was out with uh, my my friend joe who's my drummer the other night and he goes he's like dude you never stop working he's like even right now you're working and i'm like yes i'm hanging out at a at a club with musicians i am always working you know and and everything (sighs) It's an odd admission, but it's almost like it's not that everything you're doing is a chess move, but like in the larger scheme of things, it kind of is, because people see you, people are gonna know you, people are going to ask you what do you do, and so on and so forth. And I think a big part of the musical game is just who you know. It's always who you know, I think, because and it's not that people are unwilling to share who they know with you, you know, or themselves or anything, because they are. They just have to get to know you. So It's not so much get to know the right people, even it's get to know everybody, you know, that's, that's kind of thing. And I love people. I happen to really like meeting new people and doing new things once, twice, three times, you know? Um,
1: Well, that's what I was going to say too, is that you have such a big heart mm -hmm. and you're somebody that if somebody asks you to do something, I feel like with you, like nine times out of 10, you'll say yes. Sure. Absolutely. So then my question for you though, is knowing that you have limited time, you have songs you want to write, you have several different quote unquote day jobs. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe saying no is something you have to work on then? Oh, I hate saying no.
2: Yeah, I totally do have to but
1: work on saying no. <laughs> because I feel like I've seen you helping so many other people with their own projects. No, thanks man. And it's true, And I, but it's the other thing is it's coming from a place of you wanting to help. Yeah. And I think a great thing though too, like you're saying is, I've heard musicians complain that they can't get other musicians mm-hmm. To play their originals and i think what separates you from a lot of those people is you're willing to play guitar and share your talents on somebody else's album and not that it's as long as you do it for me right but you're doing it anyway you're doing it for the experience right and then if you ask somebody for a favor you find out who your true friends are
2: well sure there's that right? i mean that that I mean, I never look at it that way, which is weird. Well, I had a feeling you didn't look at it that way. Because Uh, I know, like you said,
1: you're a people person. You're doing it, one, because you love it. Two, because you're, like, being active. Right. Uh, And, I mean, something that my dad, he's a musician, that he always said, too, was... You could be the greatest guitar player in the world, mm-hmm. but if you're in your garage or in your basement or in your room, sure. and nobody's seeing you, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter.
2: It's true. And okay, I'm I am not the greatest guitar player in the world. I'm a disagree. Very, <laughs> I'm a very creative guitar player, and I and I like doing it. So what I was about to say is it's it's not so much like oh you have to do something for me later. First of all, all you have to do is ask, right? If you say, look, Scott, I need somebody. Okay, look, if you can find just a time that'll work for the both of us, I'm there. I you don't have to pay me. Like whatever. You know, everybody's like, oh, you should get paid. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but like some people can't afford it. I get it. I've been living that battle for, you know, 20 years almost. Um, Can we actually talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's something with creativity, with
1: writing, with music, with any art. Mm -hmm. So something that you mentioned, which I want to make sure we start this conversation with, is I chose this lifestyle. And that's something that you said right off the bat, Uh which is I chose to do this. But sometimes it is difficult. To basically find that balance between the money and choosing projects that you want to work on for fun. Um, how how do you figure that out? Um
2: Wow. I I tend to err on the side of uh do it all. Like even if it's even if it's a rate that's below me. Because now, if people can't afford to pay it and they give me a rate that's below me, I'm kind of like the fuck, guys. But, um,
1: no, well, you've learned though, too. Cause yeah. I think that's something. And you
2: usually can figure that out, yeah. you know? Um, but sometimes when you, you take a, a gig that doesn't pay particularly well, or you you say yes to so many things, exposure is, is good. If people know who you are, they know who you are. They're going to be curious about what you're doing, what you're making. They're going to want to listen to you, maybe come see you, you know? So it all usually comes back around to you in the end. It's what they, that's what we call the hustle, right? You know, that's why of the... you're doing this right now. I, <laughs> well, hey man, shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, no. Um, first of all, this is like I said, it's an honor and a pleasure. No, you but know? it's
1: also it's going back to like I was saying though, just how big your heart is though, because it's it's you wanting to help your friends and wanting of your course. friends to succeed, and,
2: and you know, th- this is what makes the world go round. Okay, the music industry is shit. It is terrible. It is filled with thieves and liars and just awful people. So if you can make your particular version of it a little nicer and a little more like like a crew, that's really important. That's how you get through it one piece, man. It's how you can go, okay, I'm hustling. I don't have a lot of spare time, but I'm enjoying every single second of it. You know, that, I don't know. I, I just like that. And also, like, I have to play. I have to play. I don't know what it is or why it is. Um if I'm not writing, I have to play. And if I have a day off, it's like, oh, God, what do I do? What is this? Like, if I'm on vacation, a couple days later, I'm like, all right, my fingers. So it's like, you know, <laughs> you got to play again. I got to I gotta get on a stage again. or I've got to start creating something again. Get me in a studio. Get me anywhere. I'll do it for free. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. So um, it's actually interesting. I took a photograph with a very, 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 Talented photographer named eric garcia march um a couple years ago. It's sitting over there in that box um, and it's a picture of me holding this guitar Wrapped in saran wrap
1: Uh, that was your album cover, right? I was
2: rock and roll hearts album cover And he had explained it to me because he likes to have meaning behind his work. He's like look I put he basically superimposed me onto a um a piling of a dock. In, I was wondering in how
1: you got up there. <laughs> they
2: they had they had me stand on a on a crate in the studio. They wrapped me in Saran wrap with the guitar and everything. Everything's covered in Saran wrap. Him and his assistant It was awesome. I couldn't move, but they were nice enough to like pour beer down my throat.
1: <laughs> and we'll was... <laughs> we'll make sure to post this photo on our page so you can see it.
2: It's a cool photo. And he said it's it's because you know I have this feeling that as an artist, um, and particularly as a musician, like you can go. On vacation but your mind isn't really always on vacation i was like eric like this is absolutely true like at least in my case that's how i feel all the time i'm like oh this beach is nice get me off of it you know or i'm on the beach thinking about what i have to do when i get back so work is always this thing that you're wrapped into you're you're always there which isn't bad because that's that's who you are you know um i am a creator and a guitar player and I don't mind it. It's just the way my brain happens to work.
1: And I, I agree. I I think a lot of creative people can relate to that mm-hmm. and feeling the need that if I'm not working, then what am I doing? Especially right. That's when exactly how I feel. Especially when your money and your life and everything is tied together. Mm-hmm. So... If you are on vacation for a couple of days, you know you're not making any money. Sure. And then what's your next thing? Or maybe somebody's in a studio. Did I miss a session? 100%. Man. Because <laughs> yeah. of that. But then it comes back to the question that I was asking you before, which is how do you be a person then if your mind is always on, you mentioned that you go to bed at five in the morning. Mm-hmm. I don't know how like a partner would be able to function with that unless the partner was going to bed at five in the morning. Sure. So it's something where... There's your art. There's your life. Mm-hmm. There's everything happening in the world around you. <laughs> yeah. There's the political situation. There's the music industry. Right. I think you kind of answered it by saying that you you know, you know find your space and you do what you need to do. But I guess, do you think there's certain trade-offs you have to do for your art?
2: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um. I don't have a normal life. You know, I, I don't know if I... First of all, what does that even mean a normal life? I suppose but like I don't I Don't have the I guess the the, the kind of flexibility that I have flexibility But it's not the kind that that people that don't do this would have um, It's just different um, For example, a, a lot of folks get to be like oh, it's Saturday. It's the weekend. I get oh no I'm working. I, w- I will not be seeing you at the barbecue. Oh, man it sucks, you know, so I don't know It's it takes up the majority of my life. I'm okay with that because I love it so much.
1: You mentioned flexibility. Yeah. And that's something, I think a big reason why I wanted to write and thought, still think, I can make money from doing it is I was writing, I mean, I started out with an internship that led to a paid gig. It was, you know, magazine writing or maybe being a broadcast journalism. And there was Money there in 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. 2007, sure. 2008 kind of changed the way it that It changed a lot of things in 2008. Media yeah, the whole world changed. Work. The, and that was yeah. exactly when I graduated. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you're saying where your schedule isn't your own in a sense. Sure. And that was something that I saw with my dad mm-hmm. where he was working and a year, a year and a half, two years ahead of time, he'd have a date blocked out. So if we had a family thing and he had a gig, right. he had to be at that gig because it was a of prior course. engagement and Not he sure. couldn't flake on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned the word flexibility and that's something that I thought by writing, by being creative, I would kind of get to choose my own hours, do what I do. And then honestly, a lot of times I feel like I am a lot less flexible because of that, because everything's on me. Whereas if let's say I was an accountant or working a desk job, You have your hours. You go in. Even if you have to stay late a couple nights a week. Mm -hmm. And that's not to belittle or anything like that. Like you said, we chose. I chose this life. I've tried both. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's one of those things, though, where you have that constant pressure.
2: It's interesting because, like, flexible. yes, that implies that you can choose. And you can choose. You literally are choosing to do this or, or not do it. You're choosing to do this gig or go to this session or whatever. You don't have to. Um, You can choose not to make a living doing it. I suppose you can have to work very hard um, If you do choose to make a living doing it. you're going to have to give up a lot of things trust me I know Um, I've given up a lot of things. That's okay because the end result is that I'm This is this is what I do and it makes me happy. I don't need to, to be rich I just need to be happy and I knew a long time ago when I was about 22 I was like, okay a lot of things changed in my life when I was 22 and I was like well for me, I just need to be happy. This is the the ultimate goal. So what do I do? I've I've made it and struggled to make it so that I could make my life, um, just something that made me happy. You know, so it's it's an interesting thing. I'm very rich in happiness, but you know, I'm very poor in other <laughs> areas. I suppose, especially time. <laughs> but you know, it's okay. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. You know.
1: Well, and that's so beautiful. And I know somebody that I told you to check out the Instagram account was Gary V. Sure, yeah. That's That's Gary V, man. But that's his big message, and he talks about happiness. But hearing that from you, uh, and you're somebody I look up to, seeing what you're doing, that you'll always go all in on yourself. Thanks, man. Which I think is one of the best things you can do. But I think a lot of times, especially in New York, where it's about how much money do you make? What job do you have? What's the first question when you meet somebody in New York? What's the first question? It's what do you do? And then what happens when you're like, oh, I'm a musician? And they
2: go, how do you survive?
1: That's always the question. And why is that the question? If you say you're a writer, oh, um, how do you make money? And if that isn't the first By question... By writing. It will, and, if, <laughs> and if that isn't the first question, though, yeah. it will be the second or third, or they'll right. figure out a backdoor way to say it.
2: So my favorite thing to say when I meet people is, oh, hey, where are you from? Because people a lot of people have become very guarded against the what do you do question because it is a very New York City thing, especially where are you from? Because now we can talk about a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't automatically make you put up, you know, some armor. So I like that. But yeah, no, you get asked, what do you do? And oh, well, how do you mean? Yeah, I play music. That's how I make my money. Well, what do you, okay, do you want to like, talk music now we can talk music if you want but if you're concerned with how much money i make you can fuck off <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: well i think and i think that's another thing too where you are using your energy sometimes to explain to people that you don't really need to explain to right how you make a living doing what you're doing i mean i
2: don't i don't mind nothing's a secret but like you know it is it really is the amount of money i make the thing that interests you the most about me
1: and i think part of it too in new york which you're saying which is why you also show up for people you do sessions Mm -hmm. uh you go out and see people's shows because i think showing up is such a big part what do they say what do they
2: say right showing up is half the you know half the battle right
1: but it's also it's you're showing up not only for yourself but you're showing up for other people and i think once you get in those circles and you kind of find your people that Mm -hmm. if you're only hanging out let's say with friends who work in finance or accountants or lawyers or doctors you're going to feel a certain way but if you're working with artist or mm-hmm. you have friends who are creatives and you can talk about this type of thing. Sure. Because I don't think there are a lot of people I could have this conversation with that we're having right now. Mm-hmm. To be honest. Sure. Because it's one, there's that mutual respect, I think. Right? right? Yes, I mean of I respect you. I, I don't know if you're you well, okay. Okay. thank of course, you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um yeah did, you did let me come at your home. Um but it's it's one of those things where it just you feel better knowing that there's somebody else going down not the same road, right. but a similar road. But we're
2: sharing an experience in life. You know, it's it's similar. I mean, look, I have no problem hanging out with people that are not, you know, in the arts. In fact, I find it fascinating because okay, you're interesting too. Like, and a lot of those guys. Man, I was, I was hanging out in Chelsea with a songwriter friend of mine, and there were two. Um, shall we call them finance bros, at the bar, and you're like, oh, you guys look like musicians. And we struck up a conversation that lasted for the next three hours.
1: That's awesome.
2: Because everybody's got something interesting. And even if you don't do music, you know, you you like it. I, I don't know anybody that goes, do not play music around me. I don't think it's, I mean, I'll play the polka around you. Like, whatever you want to hear, I don't, you know. But everybody wants to hear something, you know. Um. So, no, everybody's, everybody's interesting. It's just, don't lead with how much money you make. I will tell you, That's a I good don't point. care. You can ask, but... Don't be impressed or unimpressed. That's not important. That's not the point. The point is, what well, you do what makes you happy and tell me about it.
1: And it sounds like you've found that inner peace, though, that you know this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to be doing. Oh, yeah. I'm lucky to be able to do this and I'm going to continue to do this for as long as I can do this.
2: Sure. You know, I mean, I remember when I was younger, I think uh, I knew I wanted to do this when I was 15. Okay. Um, I actually did not play guitar until I was about 14. My folks would give me one when I was a kid. And I hated it. I was like, this guy at the music school is trying to teach me shit I don't want to learn. Like, I don't want to play "Mary Had a Little Lamb." Like, da 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 da. da. Um, so I went and I was like, oh, I'm going to play hockey. I'm going to play baseball. I'm going to do all these things, um, which was cool and a lot of fun. But then, when I was about 14, I started getting into music like really heavy, and um, I needed a guitar. And we moved to New Jersey, and my folks uh, bought me a guitar. Hit it like in the moving van on the way down to Jersey when we got there that like, gave it to me and I was like Oh, oh man, this is nobody ever saw me again, <laughs> you know But when I was like in college, I was going to school to be a, um to be a history teacher Which is my other great passion like uh, if I could have been Indiana Jones I would have been but it wasn't a major in college So you know, it's not much you can do you weren't about able that to do that yeah, th- that and pirating were two things that were not is it on the, the bullwhip? They don't teach you how to do the <laughs> the whip? whip. I don't think Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know but uh, <laughs> like I'm not touching that you uh, know <laughs> I was like, but but still, no one's found the Holy Grail. I suppose, like maybe, <laughs> but um, you know, Here, um, let me put this hat on you and then uh, you're fine. yes, I cock it to the side. No, I don't want to mess with the hair. <laughs> but um,
1: you know, um, sorry, you were talking no, about that going to school and becoming oh yeah, yeah. a history teacher. I got you off track. But I'm it's looking around your room and I see Teddy Roosevelt books. I see pictures of leaders, generals. Uh, there's a map of the world behind us. Okay. So that's something that history has always been a big part of your life. Huge.
2: I mean, since since I mean, I I guess since I remember anything, my house was always that. I mean, my my family was very history driven. My dad was, you know, my grandfather, Um, and it just became this fascinating thing. I remember just I was an insatiable reader as a as a kid. Um, I don't know the moment somebody handed me a book, it was just over. And I'm still that way, you know, I've been known to read a book in a day, you know, two maybe.
1: Um. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I really am not a fast reader. I had the opposite experience. Okay. So my mom, it was a first and second grade teacher for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And my sister is what you would call, like you, probably a natural born reader. Mm-hmm. Somebody who picks up books, you could read, you do what you need to do. Sure. That was not me. Uh, with phonics, I... Couldn't figure that out, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm so lucky and thankful that I had my mom, who is my biggest cheerleader basically, Mm -hmm. because I found a book recently that I created in probably kindergarten, right? And she showed me what I would do, which was my mistake. Let's say that I wanted to spell the word play. right? Instead of P-L-A-Y, it would always be P-A-L-Y okay. when I would write. Because I would see the letters. I knew they were right. there. I just didn't understand the phonics. Right. And by having a teacher, by having my mom, who is basically my biggest advocate, telling my second grade teacher that I needed to be in every reading group, I hated that. I sure. did not want that to happen. So for me, I kind of had an opposite experience where the only reason I kind of started reading mm-hmm. was because... I came across like Matt Christopher books and I was reading about baseball. Okay, awesome. Whereas you, but that's, I think that's such a cool thing that you're able to grab the books and you take in the information and I think it's why you're so worldly and have all these experiences and are so open to a lot of cultures and people and
2: different things. It's just so fascinating, man. There's just so much. The world is, ah, this is, this is a line from a children's book that I've been writing for, Ten years, um, maybe don't say it. No, I'm not. No, no, no. I will. Oh, I, I was like,
1: keep it for yourself. Oh, no, no, no. It's good. It's okay. good. It's
2: good. It's, the world is a very big place. Um, and I tell you about that book some other time. Because, <laughs>
1: <Well, laughs> I, I was gonna say, like, do it. Yeah, don't no, be sharing your secrets I, like that. No, I,
2: I like to write, and um, I was about uh, probably about twenty five, and in a black moleskin, which I can show you later, I suppose. Um, I came up with the idea for this this cat. It randomly hit me. I remember the night it was it was February. It was cold. We were moving out of my house because we had lost um we had lost the house in a in a short sale. And um I was just sitting there at my desk looking out the window. God, it was cold, man. And I just began to think of this character Dr. Klaus, Dr. Klaus von Schimpelhausen. And he lives in uh He was in a house, but he has a a gigantic hot air balloon that he travels the world, and he's a very worldly man. And um, he goes on adventures, and he brings his his young nephew along with him to teach him to be worldly, because his young nephew is certainly not. He's like, you know, Xbox and all that business. So anyway, they have a series of zany adventures that Take place in different parts of the world, and each one is very unique. And there's, you know, it's very it's fun. It sounds incredible. It's awesome. I it's good. I
1: want to cut this part out so nobody <laughs> else hears your idea. Seriously, okay, or cool. or I hope that you get a book deal from it. So do you think maybe leave it in or I,
2: cut it? Th- well, I mean, no, nobody's even seen the script or what is it? What do they call it? The copy? I don't. Well, even, I don't yeah, even know how to write a book. I guess man. the manuscript. Yeah. yeah,
1: but I mean, you did. You have the idea. It's disjointed, you but all it's all there. The points. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there.
2: I'm just really bad at dialogue. Uh, dialogue is. If I was talking to you, I could do it, right? But I, to, to write it, that was always hard for me. You know, so when I would get down to, I would go, this is happening in this scene, but what are they saying to each other? And I can do it, but like, it's a real trick to move, make that uh, in such a way that it moves everything forward. The same as in a song, when you write lyrics, you musically have to move the song forward, of course, but you also have to lyrically move the song forward. It's, it's different, I think, when you're writing something that's just meant to be read because you don't have music helping you um so i kind of get stuck on that and have been but yeah there's books and books and books and books of manuscripts that i have for this because it's a series
1: have you thought about saying it into your phone and basically recording it because if you're saying that i have not you're sitting down trying to type it why don't you talk it out pretend you're the characters the same way you probably even sing a song sing about it like there are so many things and so many talents that you have that you can bring to this book and to the series that's brilliant man well i'm, I'm <laughs> that glad, absolutely I'm glad this yeah. worked out in and, and all seriousness mm-hmm. if you need help you want some eyes on it or something oh, thanks, i'd man. be happy to take a look awesome. not that i you know am any expert in the my dude mutual respect deal, but, you are a okay. writer as well well thank you but yeah i think that uh i think that sounds incredible
2: <laughs> thanks man it's a strange tangent but i arrived there no somehow, but you know?
1: thanks for sharing it and it's something i think i was talking about you being worldly, basically, and then it's something that opened up where it sounds like that character going on all the all those adventures uh, was kind of what you were longing to do when you were younger. Yeah, man,
2: pretty much. You hit it on the head. I think I created it because it was just like this is what I wanted to do, or I wanted the idea of somebody like that. You know, I had a great uncle that was actually very similar to the the lead, and I'm like, yeah, that would wouldn't that have been something? But I can create it, and if you can create it, you can live in it. And I, I think mean, that's that, the beauty. You know? <laughs> No, don't live in it too hard, because you might never get out of it. It's like when, when Johnny Depp became Jack Sparrow and then just stayed Jack never, Sparrow. <laughs> never left. <laughs> Which I don't blame him for, because Jack Sparrow is basically Keith Richards.
1: Well, and you yeah. have a little bit of a Keith Richards, Jack Sparrow thing going. You got the keys around your neck. Oh, yeah. You, know, uh, you got all the all shirt stuff. open.
2: It came a point where, I, I don't know, maybe it was because at first, like, well, I thought it looked cool. It looks but, cool. But yeah. um, but I, I none of these are there to look cool. They all mean something. Everything that is on my body um means something. Everything that I'm wearing does have a tail behind it. I don't just put things on for the sake of like the key is the key to the house I was born in. Um, you know, and, and my family had lived in for a hundred years. Uh we naturally no longer live there, hence why I have this key. Um, you know things like that. Can you talk about that
1: though? You just said the house that my family lived in for a hundred oh, years. Yeah, sure. Because I haven't really gone into even your story or your backstory. Oh yet. no, that's fine. Um, um, so the house that your family lived in for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Where was it? So
2: it was um, it was on ninety four Driscoll Avenue. It was an old like farmhouse, like a, a Dutch colonial kind of thing, you know. Um, it was a house that you could actually build from a Sears catalog, which I, I think was was when it was built and um it's a street covered with lots of trees which also is why there's like this oak leaf on there too because that's actually like an oak leaf oh, that they like nice. copper plated and it reminded me of home um we moved out when i was 15 to jersey um, which i was very upset about as a child i remember because i there was a huge sense of history in this house um for for a kid like me but um down the street was the old firehouse which had been there since like 1912 and um my great grandfather was a fireman there my grandfather was a fireman there my father was a fireman there Little Scotty wanted to be a fireman really badly. Because what would happen was, the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, the truck would come down the street, and my dad would go, yep, gotta go. And he'd get up, and he'd run out the front door, and the truck would not stop. It would just slow down just enough for him to jump on the back, and then the neighbor would jump on the back, and then the next neighbor would jump on the back, because the whole street was all firefighters. This was a volunteer fire department, you know? Um, But, yeah, um, it was just a... My family was half German, half, you know, after the war, they all came over because my grandfather uh, had gone to fight the war in, you know, in Germany and he met my grandmother there and everybody came afterwards. So there's a lot of German being spoken in my house and just- And this ju- is
1: World War One or World War II? Uh, World War Two. Okay.
2: Yeah. And World War One, my, uh, my great grandfather had gone to World War I um, with the, uh, with, uh, what was his name? Pershing what was his name. And uh, that's actually his saber to the left of us, um, on the wall.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> there really is so much history in this room. Now I know why you love history so much, though, too, because your family's history ties into world history, ties yep. into every yeah. And everything. and
2: everybody always just loved it. Like my dad was just obsessed with with the subject of history. I think he actually wanted to be a, a history teacher as well. And there was books on
0: everything everywhere,
2: but. Um, Yes, yeah, so I grew up there, um, and it was very much like, you know, the, the past is very important kind of thing, and this is who we are, and these are the kind of people we are, and so on and so forth, and what was I always told? I was told as a child by my German grandmother that, uh, who was a fabulous woman, I mean, it's where I got my love for sparkly things, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and, and parties. Um, she was like, you know, she immigrant uh, from Germany, didn't really know English terribly well, until later when she learned it perfectly, oh my goodness, um, she, I never knew, she had no accent. Really? Yeah, no accent at all. But she was like, one day, you are going to be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. I have become a musician. She would be so terribly disappointed.
1: No. (laughs) No, And something that's actually funny, too, is you're from Long Island. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have no accent.
2: I can if I want to. Okay. And when I say want to, it's like, am I hanging out with somebody with a heavy Long Island accent? Because then then it'll happen.
1: It drops in. Same Um, thing with like Massachusetts accent sometimes for people.
2: If I'm driving, it drops in. Okay. what the fuck are you doing? Get off the road, you know? (laughs) But um, when I moved to Jersey, um, I picked up the accent from down south there, which I remember when I moved there, I was like, what are you people doing? Because they say things like, oh, I'm going home. In Jersey? So South Jersey is not at all like North Jersey. Okay. North Jersey sounds like New York. South Jersey is weird. It's twangy. But it also has really long vowels, like O's especially. The way I just said O like that—that's how you say O. So it's when you cross it with whatever other given accent you may have, you begin to sound British. That's why slightly. I was so confused. Because and everybody thinks I have like seven different accents.
1: I didn't know where you came from. I. Always thought you were like dropped off by like a spaceship. And I mean that in the I best way. I love being way. mysterious. Um, maybe it was a hot air balloon. <laughs> it maybe may have maybe. been, yes. <laughs> I love how you're like. I love being mysterious and now I'm making you give up
2: all your secrets. All it's fine. He's paying me a lot of money.
1: Um, so <laughs> let's let's bring it back to Rockville Center, right. though, Okay. And your family that has a long, long history. Yeah, hundred years worth. In we've been
2: in America since sixteen 16- thirty Thirty six, I think something the like Martin that. The Martin family. Uh the Martins came later, but the Dowsmans, which was my mother's side, has been here since then. Yeah. Okay. Um Wow. We've been here a long time. My like five greats ago, um, and uncle was the chief engineer of the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, which is why That's I mean the bridge crazy. is the bridges everywhere in this place, man. Um Charles Cyril Martin. If you go to the bridge, his name's in this big plaque on the tower, and I'm like, Alright, you did good. I love this bridge. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, and now you're in Brooklyn. You're living oh, here. Yeah. So you went from Long Island to Brooklyn. So from, you have honor knowing that that's in your blood. Oh, that, I, ca- I
2: basically came back home. It's just been yeah. 100 years, you
1: know? Well, the, for my grandparents, though, they were immigrants, Italian mm-hmm. immigrants, ended up in Brooklyn. Sure. And they spent their entire, you know, beginning of their lives working hard to get out of Brooklyn. Yeah. So whenever my sister or I would tell our grandparents <clears> that, oh, we're going to friends in Brooklyn or we're going to Brooklyn... They would say, "What are you going to Brooklyn for? We spent our Yo, whole lives getting out of Brooklyn."
0: My dad used to say the same thing to me,
2: man. <laughs> he would go, "You're moving. What are you moving there for? Like, come on, man." I'm like, "No, no, no. It, it, it's weird. It's a circle, though. It's it's a very strange like circle demographically. It's really odd. It it just moves. I don't know. I mean, when I first came back, it was funny. I um, it was." a couple blocks away from where the family home in Brooklyn had been which was 84 Pacific Street. It's not there anymore. I went looking for it when I first got back and I was like, "Oh, it's it's a hospital now." But okay. it had been like a a brownstoney business or whatever, I don't know. Um but yeah, I, I love it here. I it's it's wonderful. Uh it's my borough, you know. Um but yeah, it's, it's all part of history, so I was I was really I guess I wasn't indoctrinated with like a love of history or like how important it is, but it just was something that naturally occurred in me Um, that the, well, the past is fascinating and people and places and everything else are extraordinarily fascinating. The world is huge. Learn about as much as you can because, oh gosh, there's so much to learn. And you might find something where you go, oh, I really like that. I have to go. Or I have to know everything there is to know about this. You know, I could pick up some random thing and go, oh, by the way, do you know that there is a salt cathedral in Poland?
1: I would not know that.
2: And violinists play down there, and it is amazing. See, it's it's unbelievable. Now it's that really
1: is cool. <laughs> um, so to go from the Salt Cathedral in Poland back to Rockville Center. Yes, was, yes, of course. It sounds like when you lost the house. Is that correct? Yeah. That's, well, we
2: didn't. We we chose to move. Okay. Um, my dad chose to move because like he had gotten a job at a at a mortgage company in South Jersey that uh, had promised you know a better financial situation, which was very good of him. But I. This is when I became the rebellious teenager, because I was like, you've lost touch with what everything is about. Like, you're forgetting your history. This is our home. This is like, we've been here for 100 years. You can't leave it, which, you know, may or may not be short-sighted of me, but it's how I felt. It's how I still feel. That's what I was going
1: to say, is that I still see that in you. And it's something, even for me, that I've always felt connected to my grandparents. I'm lucky enough, I did oral histories of all my grandparents, so I have their voice on tape. I have their visuals. So knock on wood, one day, if I'm lucky enough to have kids that they'll be able to know who their grandparents were. Mm -hmm. And I remember my grandpa said to me, um, he goes, this is great. He goes, because I never knew my grandparents and I never knew what they looked like. I never had their voice. I didn't know what they sounded like. And it's something that the history, and there's something to be said also that as we're sitting here, Mm I would say there's a good shot that we're the first generation that is able to choose what we wanna do, yeah. to be able to be artists, to Absolutely be a musician, true. to be a writer, because my grandparents sounds like your family as well. You just had to work to survive. Yeah. There wasn't thinking about what will my legacy be or I wanna do what I love. Mm-hmm. It was basically you did something because you had to do it to provide for your family. Yeah, And I think that the next generation, so grandparents, then you go to our parents And I think our parents were kind of in between that, but they still had the pressures of you need to do this or you need to provide. And we tried so hard to do better for you. Mm -hmm. Now you better do better for yourself and for your kids. And I think it's one of those things that you'll hear sometimes that there are millennials saying that they don't think they'll do better than their parents. And that's something where the American dream was always each generation does better than the next.
2: What's interesting about that, is I was talking to my dad about this. I was like, "Dad, you know I've I mean, first of all, like I said I went to school to to teach history and um uh, I really just um well, things happened and I decided I wanted to be a musician. And uh I just I loved it. And you know, dad was like, "No, no, do it as a hobby." And mom was like, "You know, do it as a hobby." Um and my dad, you know, they always pushed for that. And I was like, "No. No, I'm stubborn and I'm young and I know better than all of you. So I'm going to do it." Um And I guess uh, the the interesting about it is like later, he was like, well, we just didn't want to see you struggling. And I'm like, oh no, I totally understand that. But when I look back on it, the struggling bit was the best part, uh, in all honesty. That's where you really learn a lot of things. Um, I mean, I was living in my car um you know my mom had died we would lost our house not that house in a whole different house in so 2009 when that. like the stock market crashed you know
1: so it was um, everything was basically crashing was the, and coming oh it's the to worst man yeah
2: and but that's when i started to get really good like that's when i first really um this was like my first band was like really almost you know almost had cracked through the ceiling man uh, but it was a successful band nonetheless taught me a lot um but yeah um i lived in this old camry it was kind of cool um
1: so it sounds like you're saying that out of hardship has come good for you in yeah. a strange sense.
2: I think so. I think it helps. Honestly, I think it helps with art. Um, I did a lot of... When when I was like down on my luck, man, I did a lot of good work. I really did. And a lot of... And it was almost just like this... You have to succeed at that point. Um, you can't give up because... Uh, it, it wasn't in me to just go, oh, fine, I'll get a desk job or, or fine, I'll do something else because I'm a very stubborn individual. I always have been. I always will be probably. I don't know where it comes from, <laughs> but it's just that way. And, um, y- you know, suddenly I'm making money. Okay, well, I have to have a guitar, so now I'm just working at the music school, and that's cool, and that's what I'm doing. I'm teaching other people to play. I'm giving other people joy.
1: So is this while you were living out of your Camry?
2: Uh, yeah, I was just, you know, I was in my Camry, like, my folks were living in a one- room apartment above somebody's house so i was like well i'm not gonna cram it on my dad and my sister um and this
1: is in new jersey or long no, this, island? this is in long island oh, yeah okay. so and, you uh, moved back to long island after? yeah oh yeah absolutely that was okay.
2: that was in 2000 we moved back you okay. know um i finished high school in in oceanside um but you were
1: living in your car yeah, yeah. Pretty much, you know
2: and oh man it was really a bummer when like it got broken into a couple times and like they took some books and stuff it's really weird they left all the drugs but they <laughs> <laughs> so
1: your life though is basically in this camry
2: yeah, it was for for a little while. And then, you know, my friend Marcus, who was uh, the weed singer in my band at the time, he's like, look, I'm, I have to move apartments. Let's Because I would crash at his place or I would crash at, like, you know, my girlfriend's place or, like, I would go crash at my sister or my dad's place. Um, but that was my space. And um, it was sad until it wasn't. Um I will say the most beautiful morning I've ever spent in my entire life was when I had fallen asleep and I had woken up and it had snowed, and the whole car is just covered in the snow. You wake up and the sun's coming through and it's it's white everywhere and it's just very pretty, man. Um, so you 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 know I I wasn't making something good out of a bad thing. I was just dealing with what was for me normal at the time.
1: That was something that Julia Cameron talked about her grandmother mm-hmm. and that her. Grandfather was somebody who would make a lot of money, lose a lot of money. Sure. But her grandmother would always write letters back to her mother and back to her saying that spring has sprung and the flowers are blooming yeah. and she always chose to see the positive. So here you are in your car. That's where your life is. And you're choosing to see the snowfall and see this see the sun shining through. Oh yeah. It says a lot about your perspective and you as a person. So I just want yeah. you to take a second and think about that. Seriously, though, that's you know why what? I want to bring it back to that.
2: That's cool. Um, I appreciate it because, like, I don't know, I think a, a lot of people think that. Like, I'm very – I really am a very happy person. Um,
1: but you're I have my moments where I'm dark, but, you but know. But you're doing the work to make yourself a happy person. Sure. Because it doesn't come easy, especially with shit. Basically, it's life happening to yeah. you in a negative way. But
2: I think it goes back to me deciding – that what I was going to spend the majority of my time doing in my life was going to be the thing I really wanted to do.
1: So, was this when you were twenty two years old when you decided I am going to be a musician?
2: No, I, I decided. I mean, I decided at the moment I had a guitar. But when it really, okay. like, when it came down to it, like, I was like, well, I couldn't go back to college because at twenty two, my mom's, um, my mom had passed, and my dad was kind of obviously otherwise busy dealing with that. So we didn't sign my financial papers. Um, so Hofstra locked me out froze my transcripts said well you owe us 13 grand until you pay us that you can't go back to school anywhere and I said well you know what fuck you Hofstra University and fuck you Hofstra University Um, I eventually involved lawyers and all sorts of things and I was able to get them back for 6 grand just because it there became a point where I was somewhat successful doing what I decided to do that I was like well if I want to go back I want to be able to go back so now let's have a legal battle and do this And, and I did Um, because they, they were like, oh, well, your transcripts were signed three days past the date. And I'm like, I can't afford this. Like, this is ridiculous. What the hell's wrong with you people? And it was also that your mother passed away. No, they didn't care. They did not care at all. I, I don't think I've ever met a shittier bunch of people, honestly.
1: It really Um, sounds like it.
2: (laughs) So, you know, that also propelled me into going, I'm definitely not going that way in life. I'm definitely going to go be a rebel for the rest of my life. And and it's, it's cool. Like, you know.
1: You're a rebel, though, but you're not a rebel without a cause. I suppose you're a, not. <laughs> you're yeah. a rebel with a good head on your shoulder. You're thinking everything through. And it's something that I'm curious about. I was reading uh, Face It by okay. Debbie Harry. That's mm-hmm. her memoir that recently came out. And she was saying that, you know, she didn't have money. She was performing. Yeah. And she was just living life. She mm-hmm. was poor. She was broke. She was working odd jobs. But there was no, I want to be famous or like let's make it right. type of thing. yeah. But today I feel like there's so much pressure on top of it, especially as a musician, a writer, a creative to have the likes or the following.
2: There is, it's huge. Oh God, so much pressure with that. It's brutal. And
1: that's something that I wonder a lot of times though. It's just, it's the time that we're living, but it's something where I wonder if that almost hurts artists to a certain extent because you're catering to an audience And not that there is anything wrong with the song that you wrote, but something that you're saying, too. Like, I felt like I had to please people, so I made sure it was a pop song instead of me maybe going more rock than I would have wanted to. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I think the song turned out great. So that's not why I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying it in the sense of I think there's always that inner critic Mm -hmm. in your mind and the expectations of what other people may want you to do or think that you should do and it bleeding into the creative process
2: there is i mean what i tend to do is more often than i do this all the time actually what am i talking about i write a song i want to hear um i do um i do know that the kind of song that i like to hear is a song that can be applied to to a, a, a myriad of different people or situations you know it's like your favorite song is your favorite song because you made it your own The writer of that song wrote that song in such a way that you were able to make it your own. He either did it consciously or subconsciously. It doesn't matter. Um, But I think that when you're giving music back to the world, because yes, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing this for a selfish reason. Um, It makes me happy, but I want you to be happy when you listen to it. So... Is it okay for me to consciously take a very personal story and make it a little more accessible to you lyrically? Absolutely, absolutely, you know? Because I want to share it with you. I don't want you to be alienated by it. I don't want to perform it at you. I don't want to say, I want you to sit there while I tell you this and while you are wowed by my technical expertise and so on and so forth. I I don't care about that. Um, I want you to be right there with me and I'm telling you a story and you're going, oh, man, yeah, I, I get that. That's that's my story, too. Or I can apply this or relate to this. And that I think those are my favorite kind of songs, and those are the kind of songs I choose to write.
1: Music is so special in that way, though, too. And I'm kind of jealous of you because of it. Because if I'm working on a novel and I think it's great or something like that, which is usually not the case because I'm much harder on myself than I think other people even are. Mm-hmm. But it's something that you're not really sharing it with the world whereas a song if you have a song that it's polished and you're happy with it right you could pick up a guitar and play it whereas a book like sure you could probably take passages and post on like instagram and stuff like that i just don't think it has the same type of feel and what i mean by that is if you're playing anywhere you're playing a club you're playing bowery electric you can
2: feel The energy of people digging what you're doing. Absolutely. In real time. Like, as you're doing, in real time. Because I was about to say, like, you know, not to bring up F. Scott Fitzgerald again, but I have the copy of The Great Gatsby that I stole in 10th grade from my English teacher because for some reason that book would not let go of me. I think I read it six times that year. You know, um, and I was just like, well, I'm not giving this back to you. And were you in Jersey then? I was in Jersey, yeah. Okay. I was in Jersey. My teacher was, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't remember your name, honey. Um, But, um, it was um i read this book and i was like oh oh damn and for some reason and maybe it was because i just moved from this like house that like i lost and there was like this this sense of well, serious loss in gatsby but like and you're he's coming trying from to be long happy island, and, and you're yeah. coming from long island though of where course. you know that it's th- set- th- on the eggs yeah yeah you know what a wonderful book i i could not stop reading it um so i mean i connect with that the same way i can connect to a song that i can't stop listening to you know um so, I mean, but you you were saying the difference is that that I can do it in real time almost, I guess. Well,
1: I was saying, I guess that's the hard part where if you're writing, um, you know, it's basically just for you. And you don't want to even let something out that maybe isn't there yet or something like I'm that. Sure. Whereas a song, though, you'll hear bands, you'll go to a concert and you'll hear a song that's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. And they're still tinkering. Yeah. But I feel like that work in progress part, mm-hmm. it's just not the same. Even if you're reading at like an open mic, I feel like there's something very different well remember how
2: that. we were how we were talking about um i said i had been writing this book but like you know dialogue is very hard because you don't have music to help move it forward it, it's sort of the same thing a band whether or not it's a work in progress you still have the music moving forward what's being said on the microphone and things like that so yeah it, it makes sense like a uh, music it's it's a little more helpful because you have two things that somebody's really going for you've got music and you got lyrics if you ask a lot of people to listen to music um what's your f- it's not like what's your favorite bit, but like I used to talk to a bass player all the time, um, a very good friend of mine, Jesse Downing, and we would always talk about the same thing. He's like, I really just like the groove, man. I only care about the groove. I don't care what the guy's saying or what the melody's like. He's like, I like the instruments, I like the rhythm tracks. And I'm like, oh no, man. Like what's being said is and, and and how it's being said, the melody is the the most important part. And, you know, his mind was not on the same place my mind is, which is why music is awesome because you've got people that like melodies and people that like rhythms. And then you've got people that go in they're real lyric freaks and they'll analyze it for the rest of time, you know? Do you have a child who is applying to college and you want to help, but
1: you're not sure how? Ivy and Quill is your answer. They're the gold standard in college admission essay consulting and editing services. With an exceptional turnaround rate of 48 hours or less from when the essay is received. Visit ivyandquill.com and tell them the Writer's Way podcast sent you. So you mentioned growing up in Rockville Center. Yeah.
2: I love that place. And
1: yeah. there are a lot of notable current and former residents. Oh, Were you aware? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Quite a few musicians, actually.
1: <laughs> Do you want to guess? Because I
2: have a list here. Um, I believe, I know Joan Jett. Joan Jett, on um, the list. And I believe Howard Stern Howard some Stern. point. Howard um, Stern. I don't know if I can remember anybody else off the top of my head. Um,
1: no, that's really good. Um, but so those
2: are two big ones that I remember growing up.
1: And this is from Wikipedia. So mm-hmm. if there's any mistakes, take it up with them. Sure. <laughs> uh, and it's notable current and former residents. So you mentioned Joan Jett, mm-hmm. rock star. Sandy Koufax. I did not know that. Hall of Fame baseball player. Of and I mean, he may have lived there. Yeah, sure. It doesn't mean that. Looks like, for me. He, yeah. 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 Um, Great. Great. Floyd Patterson, professional boxer, Hall of Famer. Hmm. Uh, Howard Stern, you mentioned. Yep. Vinny Testaverdi, the yes. former Jets quarterback.
2: Yes.
1: NFL player. David Tell, comedian.
2: Oh, oh actually, funny story. I see his aunt every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, his mother every. She's my aunt Lil. I see Aunt Lil serious? every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah,
1: that's a small world.
2: <laughs> yeah, she goes down the street from my uh, from my Aunt Candy.
1: I saw Jim Brewer do a comedy routine with live band and basically telling his story. And it's
2: where he tells a story about the party in your stomach and tequila shows up and everything goes to shit. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> but. Have you and David Tell thought about doing music and comedy? Because
2: no, no. they go, but music and comedy go so well together. Oh, I know. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think I, I've, I've met Dave once. Probably he's never, he's never around. You know, you got to talk to Mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got right. talk to gotta Lil. Got to talk to Aunt Lil.
1: Aunt Lil, uh, Brian Cashman, Yankees general manager. Oh wow, nope, didn't know that. Yeah, Bethany Frankel, Real Housewives.
2: Sure, didn't know that either.
1: Uh, Jay Wright, Villanova's basketball. Coach. I did know that. You yes. did know that. Uh-huh. Okay, Seth Graham Smith. So he's a writer and film producer. He did that. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh, Ube. okay, yes. And I think he went to Emerson College, which is where I went.
2: Nice. So small world. Yeah, rather.
1: And Amy Schumer.
2: Yes, uh, Amy Schumer's mom lived in my sister's uh, apartment complex in Long Beach. That's crazy. Yes, I've met her several times. Lovely lady.
1: And then Scott Martin. That <laughs> oh, was the last oh, gosh, one I had yeah. written down. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> um, so, Scott, I was wondering if you'd be willing to play Jet Blackheart for us. Yeah, sure, sure.
2: And now, without further ado... I will play you Jet Black Heart. It is unreleased, but it'll be coming out sometime in 2020. So keep your eyes peeled on my Instagram or you know any of that stuff, and keep ears open for it. All right, let's do it. You
0: glitter like a as bright as the stars, but I'll never love you with all of my heart. Cause I'm on the edge between heaven and hell. And I got a secret, but baby, I'll never tell. Well, I got a jet black heart, cold as a stone, harder than hard. And I'll take this way too far Until it all falls apart No, you can't make me love you It's just something that I won't do Cause I got a jet black heart And you knew this gun was loaded from the start I wake With the weight of the world A beautiful stranger A shadowy pearl well, I'm going down It's dragging me under Yeah, I'm going down Oh, baby, if you ever wondered I got a jet black heart Cold as a stone, harder than hard. Now take this way too far until it all falls apart. No, you can't make me love you. It's just something that I won't do. Cause I got a jet black heart. And you knew this gun was loaded from the start. Black widow, bad lover Wrapped up in my favorite color Black stars in a black sky Black as the tears you knew you'd cry No, there's no turning back I'm gonna paint your whole world black Cause I got a jet Black heart, cold as a stone Harder than hard And I'll take this way too far Until it all falls apart No, you can't make me love you It's just something that I won't do Cause I got a jet black heart And you knew this gun was loaded from the start black widow, bad lover, wrapped up in my favorite color, black stars in a black sky, black as the tears you knew you'd cry, no, there's no turning back, I'm gonna paint your whole world black, and I'm gonna paint your whole world black.
1: So, Scott, we like to end every interview mm-hmm. with a game. Oh, cool. And this game is testing your rock and roll heart. Oh, geez. <laughs> Don't break it, please. <laughs> you, I will try not to break it. And if you're not sure what that means, listen, listen to the to song. The song. <laughs> uh, so I, I mentioned Debbie Harry's memoir, Face It, mm-hmm. uh, a couple times, but... There was something I learned that I didn't know, okay. which was David Bowie actually played piano keyboards for Iggy Pop on tour. I did not know this at all. How cool is that? Uh, if you could back any musician on tour, mm-hmm. who would it be? So you're playing guitar. You're the sideman for right. this person um, or
2: act. I assume they have to be alive. No, no.
1: It can oh. be any, anybody, any time period?
2: Uh, Prince, but it would be frightening because it, it, Prince would be frightening, but I would love it. Um, that's cool that that's like first right there because that's the master at work um his purple badness man oh my god um other than that like i'd really really like to play and i don't even think they use it back in guitars but you two would be really cool um i just love the sounds and the songs and um ah my first favorite band of all time and still probably my favorite rem rem i'm May actually get Peter Buck, the guitar player from REM, to, to be on an upcoming single because I know a friend that knows him himself. So we'll see what happens. Cool. But that would be some full circle weird shit. I'd yeah. be all about that. So yeah, that would definitely. Okay. Yeah, I like that a lot. Prince. Answer number one. Prince.
1: And don't you play actually with uh, Billy Joel's horn player? Is it?
2: Uh oh yeah he runs a uh, Richie Cannata man he's really cool. Um a lot of guys I know from a bar in Long Island called KJ Farrells they do like a Monday night jam with him so I'll walk in like after Rose Hill is done you know which is my Monday night thing. And um, you know, every time they see me they're like, Oh man, come on, you gotta come up and do a song and I'm like, Okay, so if you you know, if you had told like young me, like that I was gonna be able to, to just get on a stage randomly anytime I felt like it, as long as it's Monday, with uh with the guy that played sax on like scenes from Italian restaurant or whatever, I'd be like, Ah, that's nonsense, you know. But what a cool guy. Well that's <laughs> what I was gonna say, is that's
1: bringing everything back full circle for you. Yeah. So you've had those moments.
2: Oh sure, yeah. yeah. It's it's bizarre. And then you go the hell was i just doing <laughs> this is no, great you know
1: exactly what you're doing you get to headline coachella oh. or play madison square garden mm-hmm. what would mean more to you
2: oh boy msg it's new york okay yep i'm the hometown at heart always
1: you get to choose three musicians from any time period okay to have dinner with
2: yep who are you picking keith richards um Beethoven.
1: Hmm. And talk us through this now, because I see you kind of weighing, because you're like, I have two, I only have one more.
2: Well, if I'm backing Prince in a band, I probably, I'm good with that, so I can leave him out of this one. Also, yeah, that's cool. Prince also is a vegetarian, so I guess he would not like <laughs> what I serve for dinner. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you don't need to cook it. I oh, mean, well, you could in, go out. Well, In that case. I didn't say you are cooking dinner. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Beethoven, Keith Richards, and um, let me see. Let me see. David Bowie. Nice. David Bowie.
1: And did you choose them based on stories you think you'll hear? Yes. you think that they'll be good people and good company?
2: Both. Although Beethoven was, was miserable. Um but I've always been, my family's from the same town in Germany that Beethoven is from. Another it's full from circle. Bonn, you and know? you
1: knowing your history. Yeah.
2: And oh, that would just be cool. That would just be super cool. And I mean, Keith Richards, everything. I mean, I've always admired him as a human being and as a person. He's a very astute man. And he made it through rock and roll in one piece and alive. Um, and just all the wiser for it. A lot of things I learned about, you know, how to deal with the industry, I actually learned from just listening to Keith talk about it, actually. Um... You know, and uh, I mean, David Bowie was just an amazing musician all around. And I always liked his vibe. And I remember him being in, like, things I would watch as a child. So <laughs> I think that would be pretty cool. David well, that's Day.
1: fascinating, yeah, that he was had that ability to kind of be a shapeshifter yeah. as well. You and, know,
2: just a brilliant artist.
1: Yeah, you know? 100%. And actually, something I was curious about, too, uh, talking about Face It, the Debbie Harry memoir, she actually said that the music industry, she always felt that anybody could kind of, not anybody, but people of talent... That they have a much better shot, let's say, of being famous or making it through to the, like the general public, right. if there's a record label backing them. And her theory was basically, if there's a label backing you, you're gonna make it through. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you believe that? Yes and no. Um, I mean, you can be signed and then you can be shelved, and it's happened to a lot of people I know. Actually, you know, they you you now are a hundred grand in a hole because they decided not to release your record. Um, so they want it back, you know, so you're, it kind of screws your career. It, it happens. Um, but I would say that I still do believe a little bit, because the industry is, has been it, it, it tossed about for the last 20 years. It really has, with the invention of streaming stuff. But I think if you have a label backing you, it is in their interest to make sure you succeed. It would make sense. You Understood. Know? Um, so I think you probably do have a better shot. But now the trick is that in order to get that, you need to do really well yourself first.
1: Now it's all about followers. Likes. Exactly. It's... What
2: can you do? So that our job is going to be easier later.
1: I think that's something that's changed a lot too, talking about the just performing and kind of being found. There are no
2: development deals anymore, man. That's too expensive. Develop yourself, you know? That's kind of how it goes.
1: This is gonna be a quick one. Beatles or stones? Beatles. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Okay. You can go back in time and Mm -hmm. attend any one concert. Any one concert. What musician, band, artist are you picking? And if you want to be specific, you could say like an exact show or something like that. Hmm.
2: REM's first show in the church in Athens, Georgia. Very cool answer. I really like that band.
1: (laughs) Scott, thank you so much for doing this today. You're welcome, man. And now is your time to plug in everything you have going on oh thanks for reminding me i would
2: never do it otherwise do
1: you have any upcoming shows
2: new york la um i do i am actually going to la in a couple weeks i will be playing there i'll be playing at the hotel cafe bringing uh, hollywood back to life oh most certainly bringing hollywood back to life i mean um that should be cool that'll be fun um that's a great place it's like we like to call it rockwood west because it's basically the same joint looks the same feels the same but i'm excited it. it's gonna be a great time I'm so going there once for more am,
1: so. uh
2: where is it what time uh it should be at i think it's eight o'clock on monday the 13th at the hotel cafe in um it's in west hollywood
1: in west hollywood i believe and do you have west any hollywood, maybe new york shows coming up
2: uh in the works. I was supposed to actually have one on the fifth, but I canceled. So um, okay. So don't go to that. Don't go to uh yeah that one. Um, but we'll have something soon. Just check in with me. Please let everybody know where they could find you. Uh right. So uh, find me on Instagram at scottccmartin. Um, dot com. Um, you can find me on Spotify, SoundCloud, you know, uh, wherever your favorite music purveyor is. And uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Um, hope to talk to y'all soon. Good night.
1: A big, big thank you to Scott Martin for coming on the Writer's Way podcast. Thank you for listening, and please follow Scott, follow me, Justin, follow the Writer's Way podcast, and buy Scott's songs on iTunes, 99 cents. Not going to get a better deal than that. You can also, if you don't want to spend the 99 cents, subscribe to his page on Spotify. That will really help as well. And while you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe to The Writer's Way Podcast. Scott and I are both trying to make it as artists, and that type of support from you means the world to us. You listening to The Writer's Way Podcast right now means the world to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a great day. Until next time, I'm Justin DeMarco, and this has been another episode of of the Writer's Way podcast.